Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of St. Luke. And remember, I'm not going to be commenting on every paragraph or in the entirety of every chapter, but basically giving you highlights, just my reflections going through the Gospel of Luke. And we could do this 10 times, and each time we'd have some fresh things to say. But I'm going to be zeroing in today in Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 13. The angel said to him, that's the priest Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He shall drink no wine nor strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I'd like to speak for just a moment to the thousands of Catholic wives who are hoping for their husbands to develop an active faith life. And along with the wives, I'd like to have just a word to the thousands of parents and grandparents of young adult sons to also develop an active faith life. Now, here is my prescription if you're like going to the doctor and he just writes out a prescription. This is this is this will this will bring about the cure that you're looking for and it's in one sentence, so listen carefully. What your husband and sons need is an exposure to a prophetic ministry like that of John the Baptist. That's it. Now, People always say, well, John the Baptist, wasn't he dressed weird and eating weird things and running around the desert? I'm not saying you have to go out to the desert and send your husband out there. But he had a prophetic ministry, and it says in verse 16, he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And a prophetic ministry is operated under the power of the Holy Spirit, and it says he's going to go in the spirit and power of Elijah, and Elijah was the greatest prophet in the Old Testament along with Moses, and it has the ability to turn hearts to God the Father. In addition, he, it says he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and this twofold turning of men uh, first to God and then turning their hearts to their wives and their children is what you want as far as an active faith life, and it takes a prophetic ministry to find this. Now, where do you find such, such exposure, okay? You want a Catholic fatherhood conference that includes a focus on turning hearts, and this isn't a simple lecture. This isn't an academic lecture in theology. 
nor is a funny pep talk that people go home feeling good. They heard a lot of really funny jokes. But we're talking about something life-changing. And God is in this business. Uh, Believe me, I have seen hundreds of Catholic men who come to a fatherhood conference, who come uh, in a state of mortal sin and go home in a state of grace. Now, that's a miracle right there. In fact, at one conference, I remember, it was one of our larger conferences. There's about a thousand men there. And the archbishop was coming in for mass, and he was seeing literally hundreds of Catholic men going to confession. And many of these guys hadn't gone to confession in years. And the archbishop said, I've I, I had no idea something like this was going to happen. I, I would have come here earlier and heard the confessions myself. So you want a turning of the heart. And you really want a speaker. To, you know, you want to look at what this situation is, because particularly if you have a, a, a young adult son who might be married, or he might be your son-in-law, or it might be your husband, and you may have one shot at this. So you want to kind of track something that has a reputation that people's lives change. That's what you're looking for. It's not just spiritual enlightenment and edification. It's lives turned. That's what is needed to get the ball rolling. That's what you need to go for. Now, there's a second part of this. And I've seen over the last, oh my, quarter of a century, a radical change in the types of conferences offered to Catholic men. Uh, Initially, there was a great focus on conferences focused on fathers, conferences focused on fatherhood. And guys who were willing to go to hell because they just didn't want to deal with their sin, were not willing to let their families fall apart. So they were willing to come to a conference that wasn't focused on, uh, like many conferences today, kind of generic men's conferences like be a saint. They weren't interested in being a saint, but they were interested if they're having marriage problems uh, to keep that marriage together. I've had a guy literally tell me, I've signed the divorce papers. I've already rented the apartment. It's all going down. I think it was like Tuesday. This was Saturday. Thought I'd come here and see what you had to say. So this is the type of city. I mean, this is a real deal happen. So fatherhood, there's something very, 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 very deep in men's hearts regarding fatherhood, particularly if they're married guys with kids. And notice, this wasn't a great turning of Catholic men. This wasn't a great turning of Jewish men. It says, he will turn many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. That's the key. There, you really look for a lever. St. John Paul II said, and this is what basically I heard him say this in person. It's what became this broadcast, what became the Family Life Center that the way to bring the world back to God is through the family. And the way to bring men back to God and back to an active spiritual role in their families is through family life. It's not through abstract spirituality because you'll never get the guys who need to come there to begin with. 
and you really won't get the younger guys. But if a younger guy has a child, even a, a really young child, he knows there's something about this going on that's a great responsibility, and they'll come trying to become a better dad. And they may learn when they get there. It's also important to be a good husband, and, and it also involves your relationship to God. And there was a real turning in that most Catholic men's conferences today are very generic, like be a great disciple and be a man in sacrifice or be a saint. And don't get me wrong, all these are great. And you'll generally get older guys who are already kind of practicing their faith to come, and that's good. They need nourishment. But if you're one of those wives who wants their husband to act, to develop an active faith life, if you're one of those thousands of parents and grandparents who want your young adult son to come alive in his faith and look for a fatherhood conference, and these have kind of gone by the wayside, but maybe somebody will hear my voice and say, let's get this going, send me an email at askthehost at gmail.com because this is what you want. This is where the Holy Spirit comes on men and in a very powerful way so that lives change. I'm, I'm not saying guarantee everybody who comes who's not kind of living the Catholic life they should be is going to go home presto change, but I will say that a sizable number who come can be changed because this is really where the power is and don't ignore it, okay? So that's only one of two things I want to share with you today. The second thing I want to share with you today is what was foretold about Jesus in the Annunciation. It, you know, the Annunciation is so familiar, particularly to Catholics. It's kind of like, okay, I get that. I mean, you don't even have to really pay a lot of attention when they read the Gospel of Luke and Mass. I got that one, you know. But really, in the Annunciation, something is announced, something is enunciated that reveals the key to what the entire Gospel of Luke, parts one and two, are all about. You say, what's part two of the Gospel of Luke? That's the book of Acts, also written by Luke. These are two parts of a single book. And something in the Annunciation will tell us what the entire Gospel of Luke is all about. And um, I dare say I missed this for years. And I've read a lot of articles and broadcast and, and you know, with Gospel of Luke this year in the, in the church year, uh, heard a lot about, you know, intros to the Gospel of Luke and heard, has, haven't heard too much about this. So listen up. In the Annunciation, this is what Gabriel says to Mary. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. I'm reading from verse 32 of chapter 1. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Now, hopefully you caught by my enunciations what is going on here. First of all, Gabriel says his name shall be Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves, the good shepherd who saves his people from their sins. Most of us, 
and you say, well, what's the Gospel of Luke all about? The whole thing. I mean, put it into a paragraph, and if you're real good, put it into a sentence. Well, part of it is in the name of Jesus. It's right here in the Annunciation, by the way. That means God who has come to save his people from their sins. But most people put a big period there, and that's it. But that's, that's, that's only part A. Part B is that, and this might sound heretical, but our faith is more than a religion. By a religion, I'm talking about something that stays within the four walls of the church, or maybe if you have a special part of your home where you go and pray, uh, and you say, well, that's, that's my faith. No. If you want to see what your faith encompasses, um, go book a, a ride on one of these uh, pay-to-go space shuttles and look down on the globe. The whole globe is to be encompassed by our faith, not just what we call our pious devotions. And specifically, Jesus is Yahweh, God saves, and Jesus is King of this world. It says he is Son of the Most High. Well, now Luke tells us this was going on in the days of the Roman Empire, and guess what Caesar was called? Son of the gods. And you have here a counterclaim. Yeah, Caesar was great, but here we have Son of the Most High. And then it says he's going to be given his throne of his father David. David was the shepherd king of Israel, and Jesus is the fulfillment of everything David prefigured. Now, and I real now this is a, this is a really tough thing to get in your brain if you're an American because we don't have thrones. Um, our many of our forefathers came here to get rid of all thrones, bishops, kings, you name it, pope, everything. That's 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 why a lot of folk came here and settled this country. They wanted to get rid of thrones, and yet Jesus came to ascend the throne of his father, David. It says in verse 33, he will reign. Well, who reigns? I'm not talking about the kind of rain that falls, the water that falls. I'm talking about a kingly reign. And verse 33, his kingdom will have no end. Every world empire has come to an end, some very surprising quick end. Every one, every empire has come to an end. Every existing empire will come to an end. His kingdom will be without end. And this chapter of Luke introduces us to the kingship of Jesus right in the Annunciation. Now, you know, do you think of Jesus as king of this whole world? King of kings, son of the Most High, like David, a king? the Messianic king, because Jesus Christ, Christ means Messiah. Messiah means son of David, like David was a king. Jesus is the king. Now, let's cheat a little bit, shall we? Let's do what some of you do. You're right in the midst of a really good novel. In fact, it's too good. It's driving you crazy because the plot is thickening, and you got an idea what's going on go on, but you just don't know if this thing is going to work out or not, and how in the world is going to work out. So what do you do? You flip to the end of the novel, make sure it works out so you can get through reading the second half. 
So let's cheat, shall we? Remember, Luke has written a two-part work, the Gospel of Luke and Acts. So let's go to the very, very end of the book of Acts and cheat. We've seen the very beginning of the of Luke's gospel. It's kingdom, 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 king, okay? But what happens when we go to the end of Acts chapter 28? And I'm turning there. Acts chapter 28, guess what? Paul is in Rome. Now, what's Rome? That's the capital of the existing world empire at the time of Jesus's birth and the time of the early church, okay? And guess where Paul is? He's a prisoner in chains, but he's not in some dungeon across town in a seedy part of Rome. Guess where his prison was? It was in the royal palace of Caesar. He was in Caesar's house, a special prisoner, and he was in chains. And here he was. I'm going to bring it a little bit from the book of Philippians, which is basically a prison letter from St. Paul while he's here in Acts 28. Paul writes in Philippians 4.22, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Saints in Caesar's household. Here he is sitting in prison, in Caesar's palace prison, and he's evangelizing the royal household. There are saints being made within the palace of the emperor of the one ruling the world, because there's one greater than the one ruling the world. So what was St. Paul saying during all this? Well, in Acts 28, verse 23, this is just towards the end of the book of Acts, it says, when they appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. And he expounded the matter to them from morning till evening. Here he was, preaching away in Caesar's household, testifying to the kingdom of God. He was in the world's kingdom palace, the center of the world empire. And Saint, the, the irony here is beyond any description that I'm capable of giving you. Here he is sitting in the emperor's palace, and he's proclaiming another kingdom, the kingdom of God, testifying to them day and night. In verse 30, as we're closing out the book of Acts, and he lived there in the prison, in Caesar's palace, two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him. What did he do? Acts 31. This is, this is the end. This is the end of your novel. This is to find out what it's all about. This is to find out what it's all developing. It says preaching the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ quite openly and unhindered. Unhindered. Lord means royal majesty. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. That's the end of Luke's works. It starts with the Annunciation. It ends with the very last verse in the book of Acts, and everything in between is about this. So if you would say, yes, just like David was the shepherd king of Israel, so Jesus is the shepherd king, the good shepherd who saves his people from their sins. And that's the part most of us get. But the part we don't get, he's also king of the world. And there's a whole lot more said about that in the Annunciation than there is about saving us. 
It's not just about us. It's about who is the true Lord of this world. When Jesus opens up his ministry, when we're going to get to Luke 4, he says, I must, must preach the good news of the kingdom. In Luke chapter 9, he sends out his disciples to what? Preach the kingdom of God. Catechists, teachers, parents, are you teaching about the kingdom of God? Do you know about the kingdom of God? Have you ever thought about the kingdom of God? This is a hard thing to do when we don't have, we're not sitting uh, in a palace of the emperor of the greatest kingdom there ever was back in the first century. And so for us in America, it's like, wow, we don't have thrones. We don't have kings. Maybe we watch a royal wedding every so many years, and that's about the extent of it. You know, the good news, what does the gospel mean? Did you know, let's say you were a uh, just a shopkeeper in any city in the Roman Empire, in Rome, in Corinth, in Ephesus, whatever, and you heard the Greek word that we translate into the word gospel in English. Do you know what would come to your mind if you've never heard about Jesus and you know, any apostolic preaching? If you heard the word gospel, it would bring to mind the common word that was used for an announcement of a king, like a royal son was born, there's a new king installed in Rome, or a king's just had a mighty uh, conqueror. So we talk about the gospel of Luke. We're talking about the gospel, talking about the kingdom of God. And it's just like we've had a frontal lobotomy on this. This is what the whole gospel's about. And yet we don't quite get it. Now, if you were a Jew, you would know that in the Old Testament, the Hebrew was translated into Greek called the Septuagint, and that's the same word that we get the word gospel from. And the classic verse for that is Isaiah 52 and verse 7, and St. Paul quotes this verse in, in the book of Romans. He says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good tidings. That's the gospel, good news, who publishes salvation who says to Zion, your God reigns. This is the royal proclamation of the gospel. And in 21st century America, Protestant and Catholic, this has gone into deep, deep eclipse. Dr. N.T. Wright, who uh, he's an Anglican scholar, and many people believe he's the greatest New Testament scholar living at the world at this point, this is what he says. All four Gospels are telling the story of how God became king in and through his story of Jesus of Nazareth. This is the central theme of the Gospels. Christians in the West have failed even to glimpse, let alone preach, the story Matthew Mark, Luke, and John tell is the story of how God became king in and through Jesus. So you see, in our last episode, we talked about individually as parents and families walking with God, and that the Christian faith is much more than something confined to what we do on Sunday morning. It should affect all of life. Well, the same thing. 
the Christian faith and the gospel is essentially about the proclamation how Jesus is recognized, particularly after his resurrection and ascension to the right hand of God. That means he's on the throne in heaven, that he is the king of this world. So our religion is more than something that goes on in the four walls of a church. And in an encyclical that has actually fallen down the Orwellian memory hole, it's entitled Quas, Q-U-A-S, Primus, P-R-I-M-A-S, and the English title, On the Feast of Christ a King. It's on the EWTN website to their credit. This was published in 1925, and it also has gone into deep eclipse, but it says his kingdom includes not only Catholic nations, truly the whole of mankind is subject to the power of Jesus Christ. Now, granted, most of the world doesn't recognize it, but they're living deceived. For there is no difference between the individual, the family, or the state. For all men, whether collectively or individually, are under the dominion of Christ. Now, what do we do with this? Well, if you're a young person, let's say, and one of the things I remember in school, you can never come up with a topic to write a paper about. You got to write a page paper or get a little older, a five-page paper, or you go in college, a 10-page paper. I would recommend repeatedly taking topics related to what's called the social kingship of Christ, the kingship of Christ, or reporting on that encyclical, Quas Primus, and why it's forgotten, or the implications of the kingship of Christ, and do this repeatedly. Because as Americans, we, we don't have a very good place in our minds to stick this central truth of what the gospel itself, the word means, that our God reigns. And so to teach something, you basically take something known and then teach something unknown and put the two together. But if you don't understand kingship through your culture and practical everyday life, when I come around telling you, hey, even the Annunciation, how many of us thought of the Annunciation as an announcement of the kingship of Mary's child? Huh? Uh, probably not many of us. And yet this is the central message of the gospel. So, and, and obviously parents, you end up writing half your children's term papers, don't you? And you'll learn about the kingship of Christ too. You want to make this a big part of it. If you go through college, even if you end up going on to seminary, Make studying the kingship of Christ a subject not only of term papers, but of understanding the gospel. The gospel that St. Paul, that St. Luke, Matthew, Mark, all of them preached that Christ is king. I'm Steve Wood, your host. You've been listening to episode 227 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org to order copies of Faith and Family broadcasts and to learn more about Catholic family life.